This is episode 69 of the 99 Forever podcast. I'm Eric Friesen, and joining me tonight to recap game four and five of the Edmonton Oilers' first round series against the Los Angeles Kings are two of my favorite guests. They are also the co-hosts of the Oil on Ice podcast in Brazil, Gabriel Cangido and Diego Pontes. Welcome back to the show, guys. Uh, thanks a lot, Eric, for having us uh, again here. It will be a pleasure, as always, to talk, and mostly a pleasure to talk about the games four and five that went marvelous for the Edmonton Oilers. That's right. Oh, hello, guys. Good evening again, uh, actually, here in Brazil. So it's it's a pleasure, as always, to talk to you guys about the Oilers. So I'm very pumped to be talking about these last two games. You know, let's go. Absolutely. And, you know, it's been about 48 hours since the biggest win of the year for the Edmonton Oilers. Uh, Diego, has the excitement worn off for you yet? Or are you still riding the emotional high following an impressive win on Tuesday night? I'm still excited about it. What a statement win. We needed that one, you know. So this last game was just a proof that when the Oilers want to play, they're unstoppable. So nobody can hold them. So the Kings couldn't hold the pressure, the intensity. It was such an amazing game. You know, after that heroic game from game four, it was such a marvelous game. And this game five was just a proof that the Oilers are, are, are really going for it. So I'm, I'm very pumped. I'm still pumped, you know, and I think I'm just going to cool down on Saturday after the game, you know, hopefully with an Oilers win and the series finished. Oh, without a doubt. And Gabriel, how did it feel hearing the fans at Rogers Place chant, let's go Oilers during the final 30 seconds of game five? No, it was so good. Like when you compare that to, uh, we came from the games three and four with the crowd in LA, that it is a crowd that makes a lot of noise and makes a statement when they are there to see how good it is to to the others to play at home. It's really great. It's really great. And in the end, with that statement win, like Diego said, <laughs> that the others really needed for sure. And it was so good. And so uh, make everyone be, be excited for for the game six on saturday and for sure i can't wait to see the game six on saturday i can count the hours and i really hope the Oilers can finally close the the first round against the kings that it is a really really tough opponent oh definitely and you know it, it's a bit of a extended break as well because Crypto.com Arena in Los Angeles is being occupied for the next few nights due to the NBA playoff schedule. So the Oilers do get a bit of an extra break. Uh, do you think that that's a, it's coming at a good time for the team? Like they had a full day off today and they're going to practice the next two days ahead of uh, the playoffs, but or, or ahead of game six, I should say. Uh, is this a break that they needed or would you have preferred them to just get back right out there and play game six right away, Gabriel? Mm, I just saw today on on Thursday that uh, Conor McDavid was kind of with a sore leg in the practice or in the morning. And Evander Kane is kind of dealing with some injuries as well, I think. It's not major ones, but uh, it doesn't... He's, he's a little banged up, have, they said. Yeah, he's yeah, banged up. It's not 100%. So that's positive. That's positive to have like a really extended break. But the others are so... In their best moment of the playoffs, by far, 
it would be great. We just send it on ice. If the Oilers can keep going, can keep the, the momentum going up, it would be great to just uh, finish the, the series the, the sooner they can. Oh, for sure. And Diego, do you think that this three-day break came at the right time for the Oilers? Yeah, I think it was a needed break. As Gabriel said, maybe Connor McDavid is dealing with an injury, Evander Kane as well. And he's such a clutch player. You know, we needed uh, Evander Kane to show up during the playoffs. And I think this this break will be beneficial for him, you know, and for the whole team. And I'm very hopeful that we're going to have a very strong game. The Oilers will not let this go without a good fight. And I hope they close this one out on on Saturday. So it was a well-needed break. And some people might argue that the, the, the Kings, ah, they will be bene, benefit from, from this break. I, I don't think so. You know, they should worry about the Oilers because they will be well-rested. Uh, we have Dry Saddle, who has been lights out this playoff so far, and a well-rested Dry Saddle and a well-rested Connor McDavid will do wonders for for the team. So I'm I'm pretty confident that this break was really good. It was in in time, in my opinion. Yeah, for sure, and, and I think the fact that the Oilers are they they're going into the break on a on a win or having won back to back games actually is a lot better than the kings who have to sit on a loss for 3 days that's something that you don't want to feel especially going into game 6 when your season's on the line on the brink of elimination uh it was also put out on twitter today by TSN 1260's Jason Greger that if the Tampa Bay Lightning beat the or if the sorry if the Maple Leafs beat the Tampa Bay Lightning tonight then the Oilers will very likely play an afternoon game on Saturday. So that's just another reason to hope that Tampa <laughs> wins tonight so that the Oilers can avoid uh, playing in the afternoon and would get a, a regular 7 or 8 p.m. start time uh, on the West Coast. And uh, we're uh, going to. I guess they won. I, I guess they won the game, if I'm not mistaken. Uh, I don't it know if it's over one. yet. At the last time when we, I checked before we started recording this podcast, for anyone listening, we're recording this on Thursday night. Uh, I hadn't seen if the game was over yet. Maybe Diego can give us a live update here. <laughs> yeah, it's 3-1 Tampa. So uh, I, I'm pretty sure maybe the game is over already, you know, so I'm not so sure. Yeah, it's on the third period, I think. Yes. Yeah, there's six minutes left in the game and Tampa yeah. has a 3-1 lead, so... Um, it, it's very likely that they'll hold on and extend it to a game six. So that's uh, oh my some good news for the Oilers that they would avoid having to play a matinee game because their their overall record in afternoon games isn't sparkling. So I'd prefer to have them play. And and you know what? When you have the best player in the world, he should be playing in prime time anyway. I'm sure for you guys, yeah. maybe uh, it's a little bit of an easier time for you to watch <laughs> due to the time difference if the Oilers play in the afternoon. We use it. We use it. We use it. it. (laughs) That's true. So the overtime game in Game Four. What time did that end uh, in Brazil when you guys uh, when the Zach Hyman scored the winner? Man, it was close to two a.m. I think. I will. I even check when I posted the Zach Hyman goal and a lot of tweets. But it's close to two a.m. I went to bed 
past free talking about the game and talking about the goal and letting the excitement go down and they can i that i can sleep again after <laughs> such a such a game but it was really late really late well hopefully uh, one of these i gotta games... tell you something about yeah. this game you know uh, <coughs> as gabriel was, was saying the, the game finished pretty late and i had to work the day after oh you know, man. pretty early in the morning so when I saw the score like 3-2 for the Kings, I said, oh my gosh, I'm not going to watch it. <laughs> I, I'm not going to watch the five minutes left. So I decided to go to my bed and then I, I was pretty anxious, guys. I was extremely anxious, but I, I told I told to myself that I wouldn't be looking, scrolling down the, the tweets, you know, because I right. would be very disappointed. So at the end of the day, I couldn't sleep. You know, because <laughs> you so knew the after, game was going on. <laughs> yes. After 10 minutes, I decided to look at the cell phone and I just found out that the game was going to overtime. And I said, OK, I'm not going to watch it. This is too much <laughs> for me. I, I'm a very anxious person. You know, I have some anxiety crisis at times, you know, so I'm not going to watch it. And then I told to myself, I'm going to sleep. And when I wake up, I'm going to see the score. Thankfully, right. I, I just woke up at 5 a.m. one hour earlier than expected, you know, because I was extremely nervous. Then I said, oh, my gosh, this is the time is now. Should I get disappointed for the whole day or should I get happy? <laughs> you know, yes. And when I just looked, the, the guy celebrating that we had such a powerful uh, victory, I couldn't be more relieved than that guy. So it was one of the best and worst days of my life it was a mix of a mix of emotions i'm guessing as as a new as a new father and and having to work as well that was probably a a tired day for you but um getting it to was. getting but getting to see zach hyman's goal i hope that made it worth it i did absolutely 100 percent. but it was well, it was like nerve wracking. I, I was extremely nervous, guys. And thankfully, the, the game, uh, you know, finished well for the Oilers community. It was was good. Was good. <laughs> so, hi- hypothetically, if the Oilers make it to the Stanley Cup final, and a game goes into triple overtime, the, oh, the oh. game the game could still potentially be on at 5 a.m. your time. And if the Oilers oh, had a chance boy. to win the Stanley Cup that night, would you stay up the whole night and, and watch it and, and basically not get any sleep? I would, but I, I, I wouldn't be so sure if I, I, I would be alive. <laughs> but I would be awake. <laughs> I wouldn't blink. I wouldn't breathe well for, I don't know, an hour or two. But I, would, I I can't sleep like Diego. They, he just went. He, like uh, I I wouldn't be able to to do it. Like uh, every time I would check the phone, did they tie it? Did they tie it? Did they won? Did they won? But but uh, when the Zakaim scored the goal, like it was just one hour, just to let the excitement go. So Diego, if you if you stayed up to see the overtime, you wouldn't sleep like. I don't know. Really, really late. <laughs> yeah, I, well, I, I, that's true. I celebrate I mean, so much that goal that you have no idea. I almost have to take a shower after it. It was <laughs> so great to see it. 
You know, I'm sure there's going to be a lot of people calling in sick the day after the Oilers eventually win the Cup anyway in Edmonton. So you guys might as well take the day off in Brazil as well to celebrate that, that <laughs> victory. You might be the only people in your town celebrating the win, but uh, that's, uh, that's a day that I think Oilers fans everywhere are probably going to take the day off. Uh, I would record a video with my students again saying that the Oilers were the champions of the league. So they would be pretty happy to appear in a video again because they like that, you know. So I would have a very good excuse to go to work wearing my Oilers jersey, you know. <laughs> so it, There you go. It would be fun. <laughs> it would be fun. <laughs> oh, I mean... We still have a long way to go to the final, but I think the last two games are encouraging that this playoff run is going to extend, and we're going to break down all the action from games four and five right away. But first, I want to go back to game three in L.A. last Friday night. It was tied 2-2 going into overtime, and Ryan Nugent Hopkins took a slashing penalty with less than two minutes into the extra frame, and Trevor Moore eventually scored the sudden death winner on the power play to give the home side the win, despite a lengthy review as the officials checked the replays to determine whether the sequence should have been blown dead due to a Gabe Velarde high stick. But ultimately, the call on the ice was upheld and the Oilers were dealt a difficult defeat and fell behind two games to one in the series. Uh, Gabriel, I know that they said there was inconclusive evidence that Velarde touched the puck with a high stick even though it clearly changes direction when it's descending. Were you shocked that they somehow got the call wrong? And I, I just saw afterwards that a video from an iPhone, from people that, from a person that was on the crowd, showed that uh, the puck changed a little bit of direction when it was high by Gabriel Villardi. And I don't know how they could how they could call it inconclusive. Like, the NHL has to have, like, the, the best angles, everything to make the, the game fair. The game was already being... The, the referees were already being the... being... Uh, being the... Uh, being Having important in the decision, on the yeah, on the, on the whole game, on the whole other games. And this one was just a... The, the last one that just concluded that the goal, the referees, yes, can change the series. It was tough. It was tough to watch. It was the second time that the Oilers were losing on the overtime. Uh, everybody was starting to think, oh, it's it's like the Winnipeg Jets uh, series again. The Oilers yeah. were the better team. The Oilers can beat them, but they, they can find, they just stopped in a good goalie that is hot and some bad decisions and in some bad luck on overtime. Yep. I mean, that, that's a great point. And Diego, uh, from the angles that you saw, how surprised and frustrated were you that the officials determined that he didn't make contact with the puck? I was very frustrated. Uh, in my opinion, that was not a call to be called, you know. So uh, Nuge, Nuge couldn't take that penalty also, and he unfortunately did it. You know, but I think the refs could have done a better job. You know, they could have done a better job, in, but they didn't. Uh, I, I was extremely frustrated because, as Gabriel said, you know, uh, the Oilers have been the better team, you know, these last games. Maybe one game, maybe one period, it was not the, be the best team. But we have been very steady in terms of play, you know. So... 
uh, I don't think the refs did a good job, you know, just by calling that penalty. I was extremely frustrated. Couldn't believe it, you know. After all the effort the Oilers have done throughout the game, and they just take a, a bad penalty like that, and that penalty is called, you know. Yeah, it, and, mean, it was a pen. You can say it was a penalty, but still, like, to get that call wrong when they had over five minutes to look at several different angles, it, it doesn't make sense that they somehow yeah. bungled that call. It just and, and what's his stick waving five feet in the air above his head anyway? So it's it looks pretty guilty regardless that he's trying to bat the puck out of the air. And, and you can clearly tell watching yeah. it that it's going on an angle and then comes straight down. I mean, I'm not a physics expert. But that's, that's yeah, it seems pretty it seems pretty clear to me that that was a, a high stick and, and I I was reading your tweets uh, Gabriel and of course I have to I have to translate them no, from, uh, from from <laughs> Portuguese to English thankfully Twitter gives me uh, that option to do that so it seemed like you basically had the the same opinion that I did on that no I was so pissed when I saw like there was one thing at first I was in a doubt in a doubt as well it was it is a it is a difficult it is a difficult way to see it live but afterwards like seeing it slowly with all the cameras on Twitter Slow like motion, minutes yeah. yeah minutes like five ten minutes after uh, I have already, I uh, had already like a good image that the puck went by the the stick of Villardi, and the referees just couldn't do the same. Like I just in the social media could could get the image, and then NHL couldn't. And if I'm not mistaken, Conor McDavid was really near the the play. And afterwards, Jay Woodcroft said that the he just he just saw that the puck the puck uh, exactly. And how are we're looking at it through iPhone cameras, and we can tell that it happened. I'm guessing that the NHL has 4K cameras. So it, when they have that type of technology, it makes you think, how could they not get it right? And first of all, the officiating has been really uneven throughout the series. And I'm not saying that the Oilers haven't deserved most of the penalties they've been called for, but there have been many similar or worse infractions that the Kings have committed that went uncalled. Uh, for example, as we talked about, Nugent Hopkins gets called for slashing the stick in overtime. Yes, that was a penalty. But earlier in Game 3, Philip Deneau took a two-handed slash near the hands of Connor McDavid as he crossed That's the blue right. line with the puck. Do you remember that yeah. play? And there I wasn't do. a penalty called. And that I think that's where, the, that's where the frustration comes in for me and probably most Oilers fans. But after watching multiple replays of that high stick, I was sure that they were going to get it right and the goal would be overturned on review. However, just like the Kale McCarr infamous non-offside call in game one of the Western Conference final last year, it didn't go the Oilers' way and ended in another loss. And uh, when asked about the controversial play after the game, you already mentioned this, head coach Jay Woodcroft said, I thought it was a play where the greatest player in the world was two feet away as it happens, his arm comes straight up in the air because he knows that it hit the stick. Otherwise, he wouldn't have put his arm up in the air. He would have kept playing. It almost appears to me in the video that the puck is going straight up in a tra trajectory and deadens. And, you know, even though many will say you can't give McDavid the benefit of the doubt in a situation like that just because he's the best player in the world, there's no way that an, an intense competitor like McDavid 
would give up on a play in overtime unless he was sure that the puck was high-sticked. No, for sure, for sure. And um, I don't know, it's, it's good is not the right ro- word, but it's kind of good to see that the Oilers came through every, everything that happened, and especially on Game 4 that we are going to talk about really soon, I think. Uh, <coughs> sorry. And... And they could be, became the the best team. They could prove themselves even with the ref referees being receiving all the attention and all the mistakes in the in a difficult series to to be a ref. And they even with all of that that happened, the others could be like right now leading three to two against the Kings and with the with a great chance to close it out on Saturday. Yeah, and. You know, the Oilers did get a, a couple extra power plays in Game 5. We'll talk about that after to even it up a little bit. But as of this point in the series, I think the, the power play differential was close to double for the Kings yeah. through the first three games. And, you know, we, right. saw, we saw in Game 1, the Oilers drew a couple early penalties. They scored on one of them on a 5-on-3. And then basically from that point on, the power plays were heavily in the Kings' favor. Do you think that there's something in the back of the ref's head that we, you look at the Oilers' power play, they had a historically great power play in the regular season. It set the NHL record for most successful power play in NHL history. They're in the playoffs. They're on pace to have the best playoff power play in NHL history, too, at 57.1% now. So basically, if you give the Oilers a power play, there's a better than 50% chance that they're going to score on it. And I wonder if the officials still somewhat are thinking if they give the Oilers too many power plays, you're almost handing them a goal. But at the same time, when you don't call the necessary penalties, you're having just as big of an influence on the game as if you do call them. Do you think that they're making the Oilers work harder for the the calls that they get just because they know how lethal the Oilers power play uh, is, Diego? Uh, in, In my opinion... I think lots of calls have been missed, you know, by the refs. And uh, I agree with you. I think I think the refs uh, have been afraid, you know, and even the Kings, they, they know that they, if they, they, they try to, to cause any injury, any problem, so there will be a power play and there will be a, a great chance of a goal. Uh, I agree. I agree, but I, I noticed that last game the, the Oilers were not playing uh, this aggressive because they were afraid of the refs, you know, some calls. And after the first period, they started to to work harder for for their goals. In my opinion, in my opinion, the Kings know the the, the players know that if they they take a penalty, they will be in trouble, you know, big time. And now uh, it, it, it gets worse even for their goalie because of the the high glove, you know, Corpissago has been beaten a lot, you know. And I, I think the Oilers found their uh, his weaknesses. Mm. Yeah. I, 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 I'm pretty sure that they, they will try to be careful and not take many penalties this next game. I hope they do. I hope they get desperate and cause lots of penalties, but hopefully not none of the players get injured. You know. Yeah, I definitely agree. I think that they're the Oilers were more disciplined in Game Five, and we we'll, we will talk about that uh, uh, in the next game. But 
Uh, Gabriel, just going back to you now, do you feel like there has been a lot of one-sided calls in favor of the Kings in this series where the officials don't want to give the Oilers too many opportunities with the man advantage just because of how dangerous they are? No, the the examples that we gave, like the Nugent Hopkins hooking that, hooking flashing, sorry, flashing that was called it, and the other one, like, before that really wasn't. We have the Desjardins penalty, penalty on game one, I believe, or game three. I don't believe that uh, that ended up with the Kings uh, winning the game using that per play. The Leon Draisaitl, unsportsmanman, like, after, right after the Conor McDavid scored the second goal, and it led to the Kings tying it yeah. on their own power play goal. No, that was I don't I I don't remember when they call it like that. They just um touched the the leg of the, the Yeah, he, he gave he gave Drew Doughty a little tap Andrew on Doughty. the shin where yeah, where he's wearing shit pants. But the thing is like, okay, if you're gonna call dry sidle for that, for just a little light tap. And it wasn't in any attempt to hurt him. He was just trying to kind of get under the skin of, mm-hmm. of Doughty after, you know, everything that he's done throughout the series. But then if you're going to call that, how do you not call, as I just mentioned earlier, the, the Deneau chopping McDavid down, a two-hand yeah, slash that could have broken a hand or, or a finger. I mean, just it, it doesn't make sense the, how they can call one light little tap but miss a vicious slash. Yeah, like, uh, okay, Dreisaitl didn't have to tap to draw him. Okay, it was like a silly penalty. Yeah, he should right, have been I can understand that. But you have to call the in the Kings in the other way as well. When the others and the Kings had a, a good ofi- or a good game that was officiated, uh, I think it was game five, for example. And the others could <laughs> pass for the Kings. It was kind of a, uh, uh, a game that the Oilers really made a statement win and they figured out how they can't make like dumb penalties silly penalties let the kings came to them and i think that's uh that's a pretty important for the artists if they so so they can they can pass the kings on the first round yeah yeah definitely um and, and just going back to, the, you know, game three, just it, it was a frustrating way to end the game because, you know, both games that they lost in overtime were on the power play. And, and it just it seemed like in the final 10 minutes, even if you want to say the final period of, of both of those games, the officials didn't want to call too many penalties. And then they decide to call one in overtime at a point where its next goal wins and, and to put the the Oilers in that sort of situation. I just feel like, you know, King, Kings fans will say it's uh, it, it's sour grapes, but I mean, look at how they were complaining about calls after the last game too, saying that that the Oilers were missed on a bunch too. So I mean, it goes it goes both ways. But I think that one thing that you were seeing on Twitter is a lot of non Oilers fans even mentioning that the the calls in this series have have not been even everything from the high stick to the slash on McDavid, the list could go on and on. There's a, there's definitely been um, an influence to, towards the Kings. And uh, anyway, we'll move beyond game three now. And after that disappointing loss, the Oilers erased a three goal deficit in the second period to earn a thrilling five, four overtime victory in game four on the road. And even the series at two games apiece. 
Diego, when the Oilers fell behind 3 nothing in the first period, how concerned were you that they were going to drop both games in L.A. and head back to Edmonton on the brink of elimination? Uh, I, I, I was going to turn off the TV, but I decided to keep the pain going. <laughs> you know, I decided to watch it. I said, OK, this game is lost. We're not going to have a comeback. I, I got to be honest with you guys. 3-0 lead. It's a big lead in hockey. But the, the Oilers just proved us wrong. You know, they can turn uh, the game. And they did. It, it was great to see. But I, I've got to be honest with you guys. When I saw 3-0 lead, I said, oh, my gosh, we're cool kids. You know, so we're not gonna we're not gonna win this series. You know, it, it, it's over. But I insist, and thankfully the <coughs> things started going our way. You know, uh, Drysaddle had a brilliant second period. He, he was really clutch. You know, to to make this game, you know, be even fair to us, and we we have a chance and. More than him, I think Jack Campbell was outstanding, and he needed that one. You know, mm-hmm. he just he just proved that he, he can hold uh, uh, hold the fort. You know, like some people say, and, and he did. He held it. Uh, he he did an amazing save on on Arvidsson breakaway. It, it was it was very special to, to see that i think this is going to be one of the games that we're going to be speaking for ages yeah you know yeah. and even even if the oilers win the stanley cup uh people will remember that game as the turning point of the season you know the, the series and yeah but uh, like i said you know I, I was about to turn the tv off when i saw three zero lead <coughs> I love the Oilers, so I decided to give them a chance, you know, because I know they they were capable of changing the the game. And they did, thankfully. And and there's always going to be games that you're going to look back on and say that was a pivotal moment or that was a big win that helped them get to the end if they do make it all the way to the Stanley Cup final. I think back to the 2006 Cup run. Um, In the second round, the Oilers were down two games to none against the San Jose Sharks, and they were in overtime in Game 3. If the Oilers lose that game, they're down 3 nothing to one of the, the better teams in the Western Conference who had the Art Ross Trophy winner in Joe Thornton and the Rocket Richard Trophy winner in Jonathan Chichu, and it's probably going to be very difficult for them to come back and win four straight, uh, almost an impossible task. And Dwayne Rollison, the Oilers goalie, made a clutch glove save on a two-on-one rush that kept them alive, and they ended up eventually winning in double overtime. So it was a, a huge win, and the Oilers actually got back in the series and did win four straight games to knock off the Sharks and move on to the conference final. And that's just one of the games that I remember along the way that helped them get there. And if the Oilers do go all the way to the final again this year, we might look back to that game for victory and point to how crucial that was to uh, to getting them by the Kings, who have played them very tough so far. Uh, Gabriel, did you think that the Oilers could come back in Game 4 despite trailing by 3 after the first period? Uh, I was already remembered. Like, when the, the first period ended, it was 3-0 to the Kings, and I saw, like, ah, Stuart Skinny is going out, Jack Kemp is going in. I started to remember every, every sad moment I have with the Oilers, like, when they they were eliminated by the Jets and the Blackhawks won in the in the in the season that was affected by the pandemic, 
And it was like that feeling. It was hard to believe that the Oilers could overcome it. But when we had the first power play, it was Adler tripping, I believe, right in the beginning of the second period. I think, you know, a goal has to, must happen now if the Oilers want to dream about overcoming this game. And it was much needed. To fight. It was much needed. And then Evan Bouchard scored. And then Leon Dreisaitl started, started not, continued his his show, the the great playing that he he's having on the on the playoffs and when the when the Oilers tied the three for three it was so great to see like okay we start the third period it it's it all even like the the Kings had a great first period and all the Oilers have had the second one let's see in the third who who can decide? And Jack Campbell was so great. Like Diego said, that save against Arvidsson, I think. Uh, I remember I said on Twitter, like, if the Oilers can beat the Kings and pass the first round, this save will be like the one that will be remembered for long, long time. Yeah. And the Oilers, uh, Matt Rice scored the, for, the fourth uh, goal of the Kings, but then... When Evander Kane scored that game time goal, I started to believe that the Oilers really could could win the game, even with the bad record on the overtime, and even with the the past game ending in such a way. Yeah, and you know, one thing that this team has shown all season <laughs> is that they're never out of any game because of their high-end offensive talent. Uh, but, but even after watching the Oilers pull out, come from behinds over the past, six months of this regular season, I was still worried that this this lead might be too much to overcome, mainly because the Kings are a team that likes to grab an early lead and just play that boring trap style for the rest of the night. But that being said, the Oilers hit two posts in the first period, so it easily could have been just a one-goal game after 20 minutes. But then, uh, as you already mentioned, Gabriel, Evan Bouchard uh, got the Oilers on the board with a power play goal about five minutes into the second, and you could start to feel the tide turning in Edmonton's favor. And then uh, Leon Dreisaitl scored twice, uh, including the the game-tying goal with 10 seconds left in the, the second period to even the game at three, and after the Kings retook the lead, Evander Kane comes through with a clutch goal late in the third period to send the game to overtime for the third time in four games. And, you know, in the extra frame, someone had to step up and be the hero, and it was Zach Hyman uh, who received a stretch pass from Evan Bouchard and fired a wrist shot under the blocker side arm of Jonas Corposalo to lift the Oilers to victory. And uh, it was one that they had to get because... Going back to Edmonton down three to one would have been a really tough situation. Uh, and they were able to pull out a huge win on the road. And I I just I can't say enough how crucial that that goal was and big for Zach Hyman to finally kind of get off the schneid and and bury one. Uh, Gabriel, just after suffering two overtime losses in the series already, did you feel like the Oilers were finally going to get one of these overtime games? I, I had to think like the time is now. Okay, we we had just the we saw like the records uh, uh, before the overtime. The overtime starts and like the only player in the on the Oilers that had scored an overtime winning goal in playoffs, it was Connor McDavid on the game five against the the Calgary Flames. That was Flames. their last overtime game. Their last the and yeah. the other or one game, was against the San Jose Sharks, I believe. It was a game fifth, the David DeHarnay goal, and that's it. 
like in the in the in, the, Mc, in the McDavid era, those are the, the only McDavid. two Oilers overtime wins well, in the playoffs. That's what Scary Dana said. At the time is now the Oilers have to find a way. A team so powerful on the offense, uh, they have to find a way to win on overtime. It has to find a way to win in such critical moments. And it was like a game that I, I for example, I think every Oilers fan will remember forever this one. Uh, we already talked about how good Leon Dreisaitl was. He was really marvelous in all the five games so far. Jack Campbell, he really needed the that that game, that good game. Like it's really great to to look to the bench and see that Jack Campbell is ready for a situation like that. But we have to say how Evan Bouchard is playing. Evan Bouchard scored the first goal. He gave the, the assist to Zach Hyman. It was like a marvelous pass to Zach Hyman. Of course, Hyman had a great shot beating Corpissalo in the glove in the glove side, I believe. But Evan Bouchard is right now the, the leader on points in the playoffs by the defenseman. So I believe he he's a great part of it as well. Not only Hyman, McDavid, Dressaro, and of course Jack Campbell. Yeah, I mean, outside of Leon Dreisaitl, you could argue that yeah. uh, Van, or, sorry, that Evan Bouchard might be the Oilers' second best player in the playoffs right now. That's how effective he's been. And uh, really going back to the start of March when Matthias Ekholm arrived, he's almost been a point-per-game defenseman since that part. After a, a bit of a slow sophomore season, it's just it's really taken off for him when he's been paired with a, a veteran, steady defenseman. It's It's sort of rejuvenated him and got him back to the point where he was last year with Duncan Keith and, and probably even better actually. Um, and just uh, considering how lethal the Oilers have been uh, on the, the power play in this series, when the Kings took that boarding penalty in overtime, I, I thought that it was going to end right there. However, the Kings were able to kill it off, which is something that the Oilers weren't able to do in their two overtime losses in the series. Um, and after scoring a career-high 36 goals this season, Hyman had been pretty quiet in this series up to that point, so it was great to see him finally get one past Corpusallo. And after the game, Hyman actually called it the most important goal of his career. Uh, and while Hyman scoring the, the game-winning goal for Edmonton was uh, the biggest story of the night, we've already talked a little about Jack Campbell, who stopped uh, 27 of 28 shots in relief. Just, uh, well, just to follow up on that, you know, Diego Gabriel, it's we've said how important that was. Did you think that after seeing such a stellar performance from Campbell that the Oilers should have gone back to him for Game 5? Or did you think that it made more sense to stick with Skinner? We, just not even breaking down Game 5 yet, but did, did that game give you confidence that they, they should stick with him? Uh, I'll start with uh, uh, you, Diego. Oh, all right. Okay, so in my opinion, the coach should ride the hot hand, you know, and Jack Campbell deserved that game, in my opinion. He had a spectacular game. He was extremely important for the Oilers' win. In my opinion, I think we should give him a game because he has some playoff experience and he would be, you know, ready from the start, like, uh, it is an important game for uh, for him. He understands that, uh, and he wouldn't let the guys be disappointed. You know, after his ups and downs this season, uh, some sort of inconsistency. I, I think that game proved that he could 
you know, how a uh, hold the pressure. He could take it and he made the most of it, you know. He had this opportunity and he was Stella for us. Uh, in my opinion, we should give him a chance. But I understand that Skinner has been the goalie, you know, the, the whole season and he would get some preference over Campbell. But in my opinion, we should give him a chance. And Gabriel, there's no doubt that Skinner is the Oilers' starting goalie as of right now, and he was the much better goalie during the regular season. However, he hasn't been as impressive in the playoffs so far. There's been a, a few rough moments. In your opinion, was it the right decision to go back to Skinner, or did Campbell give you enough confidence that they should have started him again in Game 5? No, as Diego said, he has a good point that uh, if they went with Skinner, with Skinner, with Campbell, sorry, on the Game 5, it would it would be normal, I think. But I believe the, the coach and all the staff made the right decision to keep Skinner on the game five just to prove that he is the the first goalie. He is the first option of the group. Like he, he made a regular season that he deserves to be on that spot, even being the his rookie season with the team. So I think that gave a lot of confidence to Skinner. Uh, he didn't make like a... Uh, he didn't excel at game five, but he was okay. I believe he wasn't great, of course, but but I think he was okay, and I believe the Oilers should keep Skinner uh, as a first option just to give the confidence, just to give the... Okay, you can go... You If you have a bad game, okay, that happens. It's usual, like Corpsalo had on the, on the last game, even with him being, like, one of the greatest goalies of the of the playoffs so far. But but it's good to see that Skinner have the has the confidence to be the first goalie. But if something happens like happened on on game four, uh, we have Jack Campbell that is more than ready to to take the spot. Yeah, and I mean Campbell's first season in Edmonton didn't go as well as hoped. And over the final two months of the season, he basically just played spot duty against weaker teams to give Skinner mm-hmm. some rest. And Skinner had played the entire series prior to the first intermission switch, with Campbell not seeing any action in nearly three weeks. But he was outstanding in the final 50 minutes of that game, including overtime. And um, Diego, you already mentioned this earlier, but he made a highlight real pad stop on Victor Arvidsson on a breakaway to keep the Oilers within one. I think that was undoubtedly his biggest save as an Oiler so far. There was also a loose puck in the crease with two Kings players jamming away at it, and he somehow kept it out of the net. So for him to come into a pressure-packed game when the Oilers are already in a 3 nothing hole and play that well was huge for the team. And um, I think there was a little bit of a debate amongst Oilers fans on Twitter if uh, Campbell should have started. Ultimately, uh Skinner got the net again, and it it turned out well, as we're going to talk about right away. But I think that, if nothing else, Campbell gave you the confidence that if he does have to come into a game again, that he is capable of giving you a a solid start. And maybe he doesn't have to stop 27 out of 28 shots again, but just the the fact that you know that he's not going to... It's not going to be a disaster if they have to put him in there. I think that was a positive sign. We even saw that the last few starts uh, of the season. And and yes, he did play against some weaker teams like Anaheim and San Jose, but he was relatively good in each of those games. So I I think that 
you can see the confidence coming back to him. And for a player that relies so much on confidence to play well, as uh, Campbell does, that's a, that's a positive sign for sure. It is. I think he has a lot to prove, Eric and Gabriel. I think one game, you know, given to him would, would may, maybe, you know, change his confidence and you know, improve even more. So, yeah. I love Jack Campbell. I think he's a great guy. I think he has lots of struggles as well. You know, we haven't been this lucky with goaltending these past years. We found Skinner, which was a great surprise, but I still believe he has a, a lot of game left. You know, Jack Campbell, he could be our starter in the I mean, future, yeah, he, he could bounce. There's... An- there's a, a real chance that he could bounce back and have a great second season next year. I mean, there's there's still four yeah. years on that deal, so you're hoping that he is going to get back to the form that we have seen him play in the past. Let's not forget, he was an all-star a year ago with the Leafs, so um, I'm hopeful because if the Oilers have two guys who can push each other for that starting spot, that just makes the team better. So that's where you want to see uh, Campbell get back to. All right, let's move on to game five now. And the series shifted back to Edmonton on Tuesday night. And just like in games one and two, the Oilers jumped out to a two nothing lead on home ice. But unlike those previous two contests, the Oilers never relinquished the lead. 13 different skaters recorded a point as the Oilers earned a 6-3 win at Rogers place to take a 3-2 series lead. And with the victory, Edmonton has now gone 20 consecutive games without a regulation loss, which is a remarkable feat. Uh, Diego, uh, yeah, Diego, most of the Oilers offense was provided by the Oilers big guns through the first four games of the series. Uh, How important was it for the Oilers to start getting contributions from throughout the lineup? We needed that. Uh, This was something that had been lacking for years, you know, for the Oilers. and when we have a guy who just shows up to, to this game five, like Nick Bjugstad, and has a, a, an amazing game with two goals, lots of contributions, you know, as a second line center, that, that was unexpected in my opinion. But I think he did great, you know, and all of the other guys like Fogel, he, he has deserved a goal, you know, because he has been playing really solid Ryan too. I think the Oilers needed uh, a very strong depth uh, group of players and now we have it, thankfully, you know and we can we, we can compete uh, with the Kings because they also have a very strong bottom six, you know group of players. And in games like these, in tight games like these, we needed uh, some bottom six players, guys, to show up, you know, and make a difference. And we had that this last game. It, it, it's it's extremely important. I'm very happy about that. I'm really excited to see what, what happens this next game. I hope Clean Costin scores a goal. Water Fogel as well. Uh, I love these two guys. And the other players, why not? You know, so we, we are cheering for every single player to have a great game. But I'm very happy and I'm relieved that now we have a very strong bottom six, you know, a group of players to compete and make a difference as they have made, you know, these series. Definitely. And Gabriel, with the Kings almost entirely focused on shadowing McDavid and Dreisaitl every time they step on the ice, 
How encouraging was it for you to see guys like Nick Bukestad and Brett Kulak get on the score sheet? No, it was pretty great. Pretty great, of course. Not even the others by the 80s with Gretzky, Curie, and Messier won by themselves. They, they need to, to have another player helping with the with the scoring, with the with the time on ice. But it was really good. I think the one thing that was really great was the movement that Jay Woodcroft made. They've put Nick Bukestad on the second line and demoted Kyler Yamamoto that has having some tough games to the to the fourth line. Nick Bukestad played so great uh, with more ice time. He's such a good player uh, for the faceoffs mostly, and he just uh, he just showed that scoring scoring twice. But like Brett Kulak have a great game as well. Brett Kulik was yeah. another one on the third defensive line that could score and could make a, uh, a great defensive game as well. Even, even Darnell Nurse finally found himself on ice again. He has having some great games, but in the game five, he played really great. I believe it's really important to have Darnell Nurse at his best. And mostly the third line with McLeod, Fogel, they and uh, they play so great against the the really good third line that LA has with Villardi and Fiala that are just coming back from injury, but they they are great players that can can decide a game. So I believe that's the game that every Oilers fan and ever every uh, person that watches hockey was expecting to see the Edmonton Oilers play and win in the way that they won. Oh, for sure, and. You know, when you, even when you have the two best players in the world on your team, it's critical for the Oilers to get support scoring from their bottom six forwards and their defensemen if they're going to have success in the playoffs, especially against a stingy defensive-minded team like the Kings, who are getting Anze Kopitar and Dino out there against the Oilers' top two lines as much as possible, especially on the road when LA is able to line match better and, and have the last change. So it was great to see Bukestad pot a couple and Kulak get his first career NHL playoff goal in his hometown for the Oilers. And Zach Hyman scored in back-to-back games as well, even even if it was a deflected yeah. shot that went off his chin and into the net, yeah. which I'm sure didn't Poor feel guy. great the next day. <laughs> yeah. But, you know, Hyman's a warrior, and he often gets compared to Ryan Smith by Oilers fans, and uh, that was definitely a Smitty-style goal that I'm, I'm sure uh, he would be proud of. So... I just think to have that kind of game where you start to see that the depth guys contribute was big because we did see that a lot more this season. I mean, the Oilers led the league in goals with or goals for with 325. As great as it, they are with McDavid and Dreisaitl and Nugent Hopkins all getting uh, 100 plus points and Hyman getting over 80 points, you don't reach 300 goals without having other guys throughout the lineup contributing. And we hadn't seen it as much through the first four games of the playoffs. So for the, for the Oilers to have a game like this where they win in decisive fashion and that there wasn't um, a stressful one-goal lead to hang on to until the final seconds of the game where, or where they get an empty net goal or, or try and deny the Kings from forcing overtime – it just felt good to to be in control of it right until the very end and to to see multiple guys getting on the score sheet. So that that was big. Um, and as 
as big of a positive as it is that we're starting to see more players chipping in offensively, I want to talk now about the Oilers' top point producer. And Leon Dreisaitl has easily been the Oilers' most valuable player in the series. He scored his league-leading sixth goal of the playoffs and 10th point of the playoffs in Tuesday night's victory. Gabriel, what can you say about the impact that Dreisaitl has had on the series so far? No, I often I often say, I often joke that ah, if the, the greatest player in the world at Conor McDavid, uh, even having a great night, even having a great series, uh, we don't have to worry so much because we have like the second greatest player in the world that is exactly. Leon Dreisaitl. And he can That's show true. and Leon Dreisaitl on the playoffs. He's, I don't know how, but he is even better than the great Leon Dreisaitl that we see in the in the regular season. Of course, everybody that sees the Edmonton Oilers, uh, Conor McDavid will call the, all the attention. Conor McDavid will be the player that's most talking about. But DeAndre Seidel is proving himself again. Like last year, he's, he was really great and he had uh, an injury. He played with an injury the, since the, the game six against the Kings, I think, the, in the last, last playoff run. And he was great, even with the injury. Now that he can play healthy, he can show how clutch he can be, how important he can be for for the group. And if Conor McDavid has some problems, Conor McDavid is not uh, scoring a lot of points, scoring a lot of goals, uh, the others can can rely on the Andre Saro to do that. And he is for sure dominating the ice. Uh, before... Before Game 5, I believe he, he was on ice for all the 14 goals that the Oilers had scored. And then Game 5, the, the bottom 6 uh, appeared and scored. And of course, uh, Hyman and Evander Cade uh, scored again. So, so I believe like when Leon Dreisaitl and Connor McDavid start playing at, at their peak at the same time, uh, the Oilers are really, really a dangerous team. Oh, I couldn't agree more. And Diego, as great as Dreisaitl is in the regular season, do you think he's a player that's built for playoff hockey? Absolutely, 100%. He, he's a monster during the playoffs, you know? It's it's like he enters in his God mode, you know, and nobody can <laughs> stop him. Yeah, because last year, as Gabriel said, he was playing really good, great, you know, in one leg. Can you imagine fully healthy as he is, you know? He is unstoppable. He's a force of nature. And I, I'm pretty sure if the Oilers go all the way to the Cup, he's going to be the Con Smith uh, yeah. winner, you know, because he has been carrying the team, you know. I, I, as good as Connor McDavid is, I, I don't know what's going on if you don't know it's having a great game and, you know, shutting him down or maybe McDavid is having some sort of injury. As Gabriel said, you know, in some videos on the internet today showed, you know, but I, I'm not so sure. But if we talk about Leon Dreisaitl, there's no doubt that he's the second best player in the world right now, you know. And he's extremely underappreciated by the the hockey community, you know, because he has been always playing with Conor McDavid and people say, oh, this is not a clutch player. This is not a great player. He's a product of McDavid. Well, I think that he's proving all of these people wrong, you know, by his play. And I love him. I, I've got to say, Eric Gabriel, he's my favorite player, you know. Alongside Connor McDavid, he's my favorite player. 
and he has always been, you know, he, he has some character, he plays well, he has a heck of a shot, so how could you not love this guy, you know, he's tough, and he, I, I, I've always thought that way, the, the Oilers' success, you know, goes directly through Leon Dreisaitl, you know, I know that Connor McDavid can decide the series, but if we have Leon Dreisaitl playing at his peak, you know, the Oilers are unstoppable. And I'm loving every moment. I'm loving his play now. He has been tremendous for this series. And I think Oilers fans should rejoice, you know? Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah because we have such a player like him. It's definitely a luxury to have McDavid and Dreisaitl on the same team. And look, everyone knows that McDavid is the best player in the world. But one of the things I love about Dreisaitl is that he doesn't just settle for being second best. He's constantly pushing for that top spot as well. And there are nights. Yeah. And there are nights or even stretches of games where he will be better than McDavid. I mean, Dreisaitl is averaging two points per game. In the playoffs this year. And he was basically producing at the same clip last spring, too. And despite all the Kings' efforts to contain him in this series, he's managed to keep piling up the points and moving up the Oilers' all time playoff lists. I mean, in game three, he passed Kevin Lowe for ninth on the Oilers' all time uh, playoff assists. And in game five, he passed Craig Simpson for eighth on the Oilers' all time playoff points. Uh, and also, pr- prior to the last game, he had been on the ice for all 14 goals that the Oilers had scored in the series. So when you're out there... How cool every, is that? Every, yeah, I mean, it just shows what an impact he has that he was... Whether, whether he got a point on the goal or not, and still getting a point in uh, 9 out of 14 goals shows what an uh, uh, impact he had on the score sheet. But just the fact that his line was constantly... Uh, the one producing, whether it was on the power play or uh, shuffling him through the third or fourth line when they go with the 11 and seven formation, whatever they were doing, it's always dry sidle who's out there when the Oilers are getting damage done. And uh, you used a, a, yeah. a good term uh, when you're breaking down dry sidle. you said he's underappreciated and I couldn't agree more with that assessment. I wrote an article back in 2019 that dry sidle was the most underappreciated player in the league because of who he plays with. And when you're on the same team as Connor McDavid, you're probably never going to get the necessary amount of applause that you deserve. It's always going to be that he's the sidekick to the best player in the world, even though he would be the, the top line center on almost every other team in the league if he wasn't with the Oilers. So for for this guy <laughs> to also be making only eight point five million is a complete bargain. Sometimes fans like to point out the the bad contracts or the ones that they consider to be bad contracts for Edmonton, but that has to be one considered one of the best contracts around the league for what he gives the team. Uh, and also, when you talk about him potentially winning the Con Smythe, if the Oilers were to go all the way to the the final. I think back to 1984, that was arguably Wayne Gretzky's peak season where he was at his absolute best. And yet it was Mark Messier who was the playoff MVP that year when the Oilers won their first cup. Uh, I think back to 2009 
when the Penguins won their first uh, championship in the Crosby era. It was Evgeny Malkin who got the Conn Smythe Trophy. And when Messier was in Edmonton, he probably didn't get as much respect as he deserved for how great of a player he was until he went to New York and he was the man there. That's when he started to sort of get a little more limelight in the United States. And Evgeny Malkin basically has never received the type of uh, admiration he deserves for how great of a career he's had because he plays in the shadow of Sidney Crosby as well. So I think you're always going to see that in hockey. And with Leon Dreisaitl, even if he doesn't get recognized enough by the hockey community as a whole, the fans in Edmonton that watch him night after night know how great this guy is. Yeah, we cannot ignore 128 points during the regular season. That was lights out one of his greatest performances during the regular season, and he's doing even better. Well, well think about it like this. McDavid had 153 points this year. Only yeah. the sixth player in NHL history to hit 150 points in a single season. Yeah. So obviously that's going to be the biggest story. But that's right. I think it gets it doesn't get mentioned enough that Leon Dreisaitl tied Nikita Kucherov for the second most points in the salary cap era with 128. He yeah. had he had the second best season in the past 17 years of, of the NHL. Oh and gosh. and the fact that he did it in the same year as McDavid, it's it's not going to make many headlines because 150 points is obviously what's going to be the the top story. But Drysidle just year after year continues to get better. And aside from being an offensive beast, he's almost impossible to knock off the puck. You just watch him cycle the the puck down low in the the zone, and, and he'll have two Kings players draped over him trying to get the puck away. And they can't remove him from it. And he's just able to extend plays so long for uh, by doing that. And you'd like to see him draw a few more penalties than uh, because of the, you know, eventually they're going to have to call some of the hooks and holds that they're doing to to stop him. Because with his puck skills and wide shoulders, they just can't get around the guy. And, and just you're just seeing it night after night. What an impact he's playing, dominating puck possession, dominating offense. It's yeah. just th- this guy has been unreal in the playoffs so far. For sure, Leon Dreisaitl is a part that the Oilers are where they are right now. Like if the team only had like Conor McDavid, for example, they wouldn't be so great. <coughs> Sorry. Yeah. They wouldn't be so great. Like they are. Like they are. He's a great part on the 505. He's a major part on the on the greatest per play of the NHL history that happened so far. Of course, everybody will say that the the points that Connor McDavid had this season, but Leandre Sado was so great as well that we can't we have no way to ignore. He'll have the recognition uh, that he deserves only if like uh, he does like Mark Messier did and then start playing as, as himself and then they can he can prove what the other fans already know that Leandre Although Sado I'm... is <laughs> I, I, I agree with you. I, I completely agree with you, Gabriel, but I'm hoping that I unlike, un, unlike <laughs> Gretzky going to L.A. and, and Mark Messier going to the no, ring, I, hope not. I, no, I no, want no. to see McDavid and Dreisaitl spend their entire careers in Edmonton. So. No, for sure, for sure. And his contract is so, so great. Well, uh, the, the player that he has, uh, as you said, like 
Like uh, you know, when when Wesk like won what they won because won what he won because he had like Messier, Curie, Conor McDavid has a shot to to be in the Stanley Cup because he has played directly on dry side or beside him. Yes, absolutely. I mean, no one is ever going to match the talent that that <laughs> mid 1980s Oilers yeah, yeah, team yeah, had. Sure. But with McDavid and Dreisaitl at the top, that's a pretty good head start. I don't think the Oilers have a defenseman on Paul Coffey's level. Evan Bouchard might get 60-plus points next year. But, I mean, Paul Coffey was getting 120 and 130 points in his prime. So, I mean, that we're never going to see that from a defenseman again. And um, it, it would be Maybe great. Maybe with Eric Carlson? Uh, well not i don't know i i mean i don't know if he's playing on the power play with uh, mcdavid and drysdale next season maybe but now that ekholm's here i'm less confident that that's going to happen we'll we'll maybe do an episode about that in july and august um but you know the oilers do they have a yari i mean as great as nuges and as great as hyman is like yes those are excellent support pieces but the oilers had seven hall of fame players on that team in in the mid 80s you Dreisaitl and McDavid are both headed to the Hall of Fame but uh I don't know if there's a another player on the team that would uh, uh be Hall of Fame worthy at this point you'd love to see a guy like um uh Xavier Borgo eventually make his way onto the team and be a sniper uh for the Oilers and play with one of those two elite centers and and fill the net so there's there's players that you know could be on the way but to match what that team in the 80s did is uh is an impossible ask you you just have to hope that this team is going to win at least one stanley cup in the mcdavid era and and i believe they will let's actually talk a little bit about uh connor mcdavid now uh he has eight points in five games only two back of leon dreisaitl he's tied for fourth in the league in playoff scoring there are a lot of people who seem to think that he's either playing hurt or that he hasn't looked as great as he did in the regular season, probably because he set the bar so high with the 64-goal, 153-point season, as I mentioned. Um, Frank Saravelli from Daily Faceoff said today that he, uh, from his knowledge and asking around, he doesn't think that McDavid is hurt. It might just be more of a case that the Kings are so focused on him that it's opening up space for more players. And, and maybe that's also allowed Dreisaitl to have a little more success as well. But look, eight points in five games is, is there's nothing wrong with that. That's still an impressive run. Like I said, he's almost near the top of the scoring leaders, but just because it's McDavid, we expect him to always be heads and tails above the competition. Gabriel, what would you, what's your assessment of McDavid's play so far? Do you, do you think that it's been underwhelming, or are you still impressed with uh, his play so far? No, when when you know, when you are the the greatest player in the world right now, of course the people will expect that every game you will you will excel, you'll be like <coughs> really great. But as you said, eight points in five games is really great. It's really really great. He's tied on on third. He's tied on third on on points of every every team in the playoffs. He's tied with Evan Bouchard, who is having like a phenomenal playoff as a defenseman, and with Taylor Hall in the Boston Bruins. That everybody's saying that he's he's having as well a, a great run. But as you said, the, his numbers on the regular season, you expect that McDavid will be like first and by a great margin because he gets used 
to to see like the the points column, the goals column, and see McDavid on first. And when he he isn't, uh, it's strange. It's strange. It's weird. But the Los Angeles Kings are Kings are focused on on stopping Connor McDavid. And that for one side, like of course we have the greatest player in the world not playing. Uh, uh, I just wanted to quickly first. say I did. I just did the math on the fly here. Um, I know it's a very small sample size, but eight points every five games is on pace for 131 points in a in a full 82 game season. So, to, so to give you a perspective on how he's playing, yes, 131 is down from the 153 that he had, but it's still out of this world good that he's playing at that level. I mean, he's the only player in the last. 30 years that's had a 130 point season so we're talking about he's still contributing at an elite level beyond an elite level and he's he has three straight multi-point games he had two goals in game three he had three assists in game four and he had two assists in game five so i think it's a little over exaggerated that he's having a bad playoff series it just comes down to the fact that when you are the best player in the world and that you have shown this ability to produce otherworldly totals, anything short of that, even by a little bit, people are going to question what's wrong with you. Yeah, and uh, like in the, in the playoffs, it's like a really different way. It's a, it's a series against the same team. The team focus on uh, on some points, and of course the Kings would focus on Conor McDavid. And it's great to see that Leon Draisaitl could handle the, the space, the that he he get with the, all the attention being on Conor McDavid and he scored and he was like on ice for all the 14 goals before game five he is the best player in the playoffs so far by a fine margin and even with that Conor McDavid has the numbers as I said eight points in five games that ends up with 131 that's it I don't remember but it's a great number it's a great number for for him and for every player in the world. Yeah, I also just want to quickly mention that uh, Leon Dreisaitl and Connor McDavid are both in the top five in the NHL's all-time points-per-game leaders. Uh, Dreisaitl is second at 1.64, and McDavid is fifth at 1.50. So, yes, they haven't played 20 years in the league, and, and maybe that number will drop down as they get a little further along, but the fact that in the games they've played that there are only a handful of guys in the history of the league who have produced at a better clip than them just shows how dominant they both are in the playoffs. Uh, Diego, what what can you say about uh, McDavid's playoff performance so far? I couldn't say enough. You know, he's a phenomenal player. I think you guys have said lots of good stuff about him. No, I was just worried, and I agree with your comments. Uh but maybe it's nothing serious, you know. But I was kind of concerned the first two games when, when I saw that he, he was not like he used it to be because we tend to be uh, used to to the greatness, you know. We, we tend to to be spoiled in some sort yeah. of way. When we expect, like, Mike McDavid doing a highlight real goal or... or or play so we are very spoiled and when 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 we don't see that on a night basis uh, we used to ask ourselves like what what is going on you know and and that's what i was 
I was asking myself when I saw his first two games, but yeah, he has proved that he's still the greatest player on earth, you know, and he has scored like piled up like eight points already, you know, that that's a lot. And I'm, I'm really happy to see him stepping up despite all the difficulties, despite the players, maybe the King players will have some merit in this series because they are trying to shut him down. And still, uh, Mac David is doing is scoring points. You know, he's finding ways to score points. Yeah, and, so, and maybe games one and two weren't his best. But as I mentioned, he's coming off now three consecutive multi-point games. And yeah. he's he's been a big factor in all three of those games. Like I said, with the two power play goals in game three, three assists in game four, two assists in the in their win in game five, just consistently upping his game. And we're starting to see him really take off. I, I would fully expect him to have a, another strong game uh, in game six in LA. Uh, let's talk a little about Corpus Salo now. Earlier in the series, he had really been tough for the Oilers to solve. And, and even going back to the regular season, when he played with, for the Columbus Blue Jackets, there were two games where he got the better of the Oilers. Uh, but it seems like they have now figured him out. Do you do you think that going into game six, the Oilers are now in his head that they've figured out how to get by this guy? Because he has allowed nine goals in the last two games before he was eventually pulled um, in, in favor of uh, Phoenix Copley in the last game. Uh, have the Oilers uh, finally got the better of him? And are you that much more confident that they'll uh, they'll be able to keep that going in game six, Diego? I'm very confident. I think we sold Cor- Corpisalo, and I think the Oilers will try to explore this weakness, you know, that he has shown these past two games. And I hope we break we break him, like, <laughs> in a good way, in a good way. We could break Markstrom last year, you know. Why not break <laughs> Corpisalo? So we need this game, and I think the boys will be on fire. They will try to explore Corpisalo's weakness. He's a great goalie, you know, no no question about that. Uh, he did wonders uh, when he was playing for Columbus against Tampa Bay. He, he really had a very solid game. Maybe he's pumped, you know, to turn things around. He's going to play in L.A., so in his home. So I don't know, but but I'm very confident that the Oilers will try to explore his weakness, and I'm very confident that we're gonna have a great result. We'll see. I'm I'm excited for that. I'm looking forward to this game for sure. And Gabriel, do you think the Oilers have gotten the better of Corpusallo now? I do believe that the Oilers would already close the series against the Kings if Corpusallo wasn't playing as great. As he are like, he's the reason that the the Kings could could win some games. Of course, the Kings play it uh, well, but Corpusalo was the the best player in a lot of games that they won. But since the the other game, the other game tying goal on the game four and, and the Zach Hyman's game winning goal on game five, the Oilers discovered that that corner on the glove side of Corpusalo is his weaker spot. And it, trying to they shot a lot 
in yeah, their, they're trying to expose and, it as much as they can. Yeah, and and they found it, and they found it on the on the game five as well. They started already searching that spot, and as you said, uh, Phoenix Copley uh, went in uh, in the game. Uh, I have to say that Corpusal was so great that I did a, a silly thing, like uh, I wrote his name and I put it on a on a freezer on a refrigerator here just to see if <laughs> if he went cold. And it's there. Since the game before, it's there. It's there right now. And I hope it's there in Game 6. It's like a little joke. Did you tweet that out too? Yeah, I did. I have I a, a, a photo I I with the, <laughs> in, the, in the freezer with a lot of like uh, food that is frozen. So you're and a his name. fan. And his name. Yes, I am. Uh, more than I, <laughs> I should be, I believe. But it's working. It's working. It's there and to be yeah. remain there. No, but uh, uh, right now... Uh, it was great to see that the Oilers finally came through in the game five uh, with the the silly penalties. Like they could uh, retain themselves, like they could uh, play like in five five. They could focus only on playing hockey, not on the on the on the Los Angeles Kings and how they are playing, how they were embellishing some calls. No, they just focus on playing hockey and they could get through Corpisalo. And as Diego said, I hope they bro- break him in a good way, like uh, the Oilers did with Mark Stone. Without a doubt. How about you, Diego? Do you have any uh, pregame <laughs> uh, routines or superstitions about the Oilers? <laughs> I normally used to hang on, hang my my jersey here at the door, <laughs> you know, besides the Brazilian flag, and it works. You know, <laughs> it's been working. Bob, I don't have like a, a specific routine. I like to do that. I'm not a superstitious person, but you know, in the northeast of Brazil, it's kind of hot, so it's <laughs> kind of impossible for me to be wearing a jersey, you know, and watching the game. Yeah. So I I would rather hang on the door, you know, and it works. You know, I keep looking at it <laughs> and just saying, "Let's go Oilers." This kind of stuff. Yeah. And well. Well, that is my routine, you know. <laughs> yeah, hockey, hockey jerseys were originally uh, made for cold, a cold weather sport. So, uh, uh, yeah. wearing wearing them in uh, wearing them in May in, in Brazil probably uh, makes it a little a little hot, unless you have really good air conditioning in your place. So, or maybe no, you live in funny. the south of Brazil, like like Gabriel does. Yeah. You know, he lives there, so the weather yeah. is. No, for me. Than here. <laughs> and the games are like 11 p.m. almost midnight, so I leave the the window open, and then it's the cold for us here. Right now it's 15, <laughs> 10 degrees, so I can so I can wear my my jersey. That's why I said that when Zach Hyman scored the the game winning goal on overtime, I was with a t-shirt and with a jersey and celebrating like hell, like 2 a.m. And that's why I said. Oh, I need a shower, I think. You need to relax, yeah. (laughs) Well, I mean, hopefully uh, there won't be too many overtime games uh, the rest of the way, and the Oilers can just finish it off in regulation. I mean, the Oilers led the league in regulation wins this year, so that that just shows you they're right up there with uh, the best teams in terms of uh, finishing things off. Their overtime record wasn't as strong this year as as it had been in past years, which is surprising considering how dominant McDavid and Dreisaitl are in uh, three on three overtime, but obviously it's back to the more traditional five on five in the playoffs. Um, just to finish up tonight, guys, do you think the Oilers are going to finish things off in game six on Saturday night in Los Angeles? Gabriel, back to you. 
Do I have you, Gabriel? Diego, are you there? Yes, I'm here. I'm here. We might have lost Gabriel. Yeah. We might have lost to him. Oh, okay. He, oh, he's Gabriel, back. we got you back. Oh, I'm back. Yeah, we lost you there for a second, so I'll just go back oh. to you. Uh, do you think the Oilers will finish things off in Game 6 on Saturday? Oh, I hope so. I hope so. When the game um, when game 5 ended, like it wasn't in an overtime. The Oilers won like with a considerable lead, no emotion through the last second. It was so relief. Like I didn't remember how it was to end a hockey game with a win, and it was so calm, so natural. So I you I like really to have a multi-goal lead with five minutes left, and you can just sort of relax no. a little bit and not just be on the edge of your seat right to and the end. But and the last four games were like that, like yeah. four straight games like that. We can't stand it. So the others are really in a good spot to close out in, in Los Angeles to game six. Like uh, I in my bracket in the NHL, I did I put the others in six. Like I I believe that. The Los Angeles Kings would be a tough opponent, but the Oilers can close out in six games. I really hope they win in Los Angeles and the, the Oilers can can be free of the Los Angeles Kings and go through the second round. For sure. And Vegas is leading the Winnipeg Jets one nothing yeah. in the first period right now. So if they do win, Edmonton would play Vegas in the second round of the playoffs. And actually, I think the Oilers do match up even better against the Vegas Golden Knights than the Los Angeles Kings because Vegas likes to play a little more of a transition offensive-minded game than the Kings who really like to just shut things down. They're an opportunistic kind of counterattack team that wait for you to make a mistake and then they pounce on you and they'll just sit back and play their 1-3-1 one, one trap system all night and, until you do uh, make that one mistake. Uh, uh, so I think the Oilers are actually a better fit. I, I'd Personally, I'd rather play Vegas than Winnipeg because mm-hmm. Connor Hellebuck is yeah. one of the best goalies in the world, and we ran into him two years ago in the playoffs, and that yeah. didn't end so well for yeah. the Oilers. So I, I'd prefer to avoid him, and I think the Oilers just could beat the Kings, uh, or, or sorry, could beat uh, Vegas. I think the, the Kings actually give the Oilers a tougher test than Vegas does, but we can't think too far ahead. We got to focus on this one. Uh, Gabriel, did I get a score prediction from you um, for Game Six? For game six, it will, it will be, let me think, 5-2 to the Oilers. Really calm game at the end. No empty net, no overtime. The Oilers will just run out the clock. And as you said, the Golden Knights are leading the Jets. It's really important that the Oilers could uh, win the game six in Los Angeles. Because yep. if the Golden Knights uh, clinch the, the series right today, they will have a lot of time to rest, a lot of time to focus. And the Oilers, if they lose in Los Angeles Game 6, they, they will have to focus on Game 7. Not only the physical uh, fatigue, but the mental one that have to play a Game 7, which is pivotal on the series. So it's really important to the Oilers to close the, the series on Saturday. For sure. And uh, Diego, do the Oilers finish things off in Game 6, and what will the score be? Oh, the score will be... Uh, Gabriel said my score, you know. I, <laughs> I, 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 I was expecting this this kind of score, but I'm going to say it's going to be 4-2 for the Oilers. I think the Oilers are the better team, has has been the better team, you know. We, we have great players. They, they're going to be clutch. They're, they're, they're going to 
close out this series. As Gabriel said, they they want to avoid fatigue, you know, and we might face Vegas. So we need to be ready for that. It's not going to be an easy opponent. There's no easy opponent from now on. So I, I'm I'm expecting a huge game from from the Oilers, especially the the biggest names, you know, like Evander Kane. He he wants to prove that he 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 wants to be the scorer that we need. You know, Zach Hyman's gonna have a great game. So I'm I'm expecting a a, a huge game from McDavid, especially and Leon Draisaitl. They have this chance. They have the advantage. So I'm expecting a 4-2 win. A nail-biting win, and I hope mm-hmm. I don't have a heart attack by the end of this game, you know, because it's gonna be a it's gonna be a battle, it's gonna be a war. So, but I'm expecting the Oilers to win, you know. I think they're they're really ready to win this game, you know. They're a great road team, so we we have the better odds. Let's see if it pays off, you know, this weekend. Hopefully, yes. There you go. Um, I'm going to go with a 5-2 win as well. I think I think that the Oilers he, will he close it out. His, after he, he, he heard. Yeah, but I, think, I, yeah, I do believe the 5-2 is like a strong one here. Definitely. And, you know, uh, just before we close out the show tonight, uh, I wanted to give a quick shout out to uh, Cecily Eklund. Uh, I, I'm not sure if you yes. guys are aware of the story or not, yeah, but... Yeah. She's a 10-year-old girl, a huge Oilers fan that is currently uh, battling brain cancer. And uh, she's a, a, a childhood cancer awareness warrior and philanthropist. And just uh, someone who is a, a diehard fan of the team, a big Evander Kane fan. And uh, just seeing their bond over the this season is really reminiscent of Connor McDavid and Ben Stelter last year. Uh, you know, nothing but well wishes to her. Obviously, she had a bit of a, a bad experience going to uh, one of the games in L.A. Uh, last weekend where uh, uh, some fans were rude to her for wearing an Oilers jersey. I don't want to dive too much into that. I want to focus on the positive that Kane scored the opening goal in Game 5 for her the other night and that, uh, you know, things are things are looking better for her and that she, she was at... Game five again in Edmonton. Uh, I think she had a booth set up there um, taking donations for the the Ben Stelter Fund with her family. So, uh, you know, I I just wanted to give uh, a shout out to her and her family and wishing her all the best. I I believe that they raised something like $22,000 the past couple days uh, in in honor of the charity. So just uh, I hope things are going well for you, Cecily, and I hope that uh, Evander and the Oilers can uh, pick up a, a, another big win for you in Game 6. Yeah, for sure. To, to Cecily, that is well known. That's every, everybody's talking about. Unfortunately, that she had that situation. But to, to all the children that live in the same situation, with the same, in the same situation, that must be really, really tough, and that they can be strong, have never to to overcome that to Cecily and to everyone that is in the in the same world. Yeah, definitely. yeah. Sorry, go ahead, Diego. No, I I just wish her the best. You know, I think she has been a great fan, and she has been great for the community, and she can unite even more the Oilers community. You know, and a shout out to some Oilers 
uh, I mean, some Kings fans who donated about $7,000, you know, to her. So shout out to these people. We should keep, uh, uh, like, the rivalry, you know, this way, you know, uh, doing some positive stuff instead of, you know, like, offending people, you know, and wishing uh bad things this kind of stuff I, i i don't know i don't know if this is the right way so shout out to these kings fans you know who donated to the to the charity to her, you know to, yeah. to the charity and and i hope the oilers notice take notice that she she's been dealing with some difficulties and maybe this can inspire them you know the the whole team to play not only for themselves but for her as well you know oh exactly bring her some sort of happiness and joy she needed yes i mean the oilers have always been a community team they're they're obviously playing for themselves but the organization for you know the history of the team for for the memory of ben stelter for someone like cecily and and i think it was a great move by the organization uh the oilers organization to send her to California and, and allow her family to go to Disneyland and also go to the two games in LA. And obviously, and it was great that the Oilers were able to win one of them. It would have been even better if they could have won both for her, but just uh, the fact that she was able to have uh, some special memories like that for someone who's been through more in her 10 short years than most of us will deal with in our lives. Uh, it just shows how strong of a person she is. And, uh, it, that Oiler fans everywhere are supporting her and, and wishing her all the best in her continued fight uh, against cancer. So all the best, Cecily, and this episode is dedicated to you tonight. Yeah, for sure, for sure. Uh, to, to Cecily, to every, to every child that lives with the same, with the same situation, uh, we, hope, we hope for the best and we know that they are really, really strong in an in imagine, unimaginable way. Definitely. Uh, we're sending our best vibes and thoughts to these people. So, in our prayers as well, why not? You know, we hope they can have some happiness in their lives and we, we, we hope the best for them. Oh, without a doubt. Okay, guys, uh, where can people find you on Twitter? Uh, myself, you can find the Edmont Oilers Brazil Twitter. It's always in Portuguese, as Eric said in the beginning, but you can translate. We will understand. We can always interact in English. Of course, we can We can always talk about it. It's EDM Oilers BR on Twitter, on Twitter, and you can find me there. Yeah, guys, you can find me at Diego PR Bajos, you know, with double R. So I'm always there, you know, interacting with people. Normally, most of my posts are in English, but I also post in Portuguese. So if you want to interact in Portuguese, it's going to be a pleasure. Yeah, I, I always say that is the personal <laughs> account of Diego, like it is different of my account of Dead Montoilers Brazil, but he talks uh, at the majority of times about the Oilers and in English. So uh, if you follow Diego, of course, it will be worth for sure. Yes, and, and, and I, I just want to extend the, the, the praise and a shout out to the Edmont Oilers community fan page, you know, Brazilian one. Gabriel does a tremendous job. So <laughs> if you want, if you guys want to get pumped about the Oilers, so <laughs> you should follow him. You know, it's worth a follow. No, for sure. I try to, I try to do my best. 
every time I try to pump the fans, like in a, I bring a lot of things from soccer, from football, that's more exciting. I try to mix with the the, the two cultures of yeah. the ice hockey that's really different from everything we have in, here in Brazil. But there we can gather like some Brazilian fans. We have a WhatsApp group that we always talk about. Right now we have 46, yeah. 46 people in there that and they talk all the time. All the yes, time. Mostly in the, play, in the playoffs, <laughs> but they talk a lot. They do. Oh, and if people want to go back to the and listen to the last episode we did about two months ago, uh, we actually discussed the, the 2022 World Cup. So there was a little bit of soccer talk in there as well. So for anyone who wants to uh, hear these two guys break it down, uh, although I'm sure you would have preferred uh, Brazil to win the World Cup than Argentina. Yeah, for sure. Yeah. Let me just bring a curiosity today. I've just found out that Andre Kuzmenko is in Brazil watching a soccer game in Brazil. Okay. That's kind of funny. You know, maybe we'll yeah. see one day Leon Draisaitl or Conor McDavid watching a soccer game know. in Brazil. Why not? You never know, eh? <laughs> but just like that was uh, funny. But just like the Oilers are uh, the better franchise historically than the Flames, and and right now for that matter, um, Brazil's mm-hmm. still the better hockey country, or the better, Brazil's still the better soccer country, I should say, <laughs> than Argentina, right? Oh, yeah, I think have, so. I think so. <laughs> yeah, we have we have five five World Cups. Argentina now has three, but we still ahead, like by a, a margin, not a fine margin, a great one, but it's good. It's not oh, five to on, one, baby. like Ed we Wilson still are Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Well, maybe Brazil will be playing games in Canada in the 2026 World Cup when uh, North America hosts it in a oh, in four, three years. So, yeah, it's a shame it's Edmonton's not getting any games, but. Uh, they, that that could have been a, a reason for you guys to come up and see a game in uh, in Edmonton if they would have been playing here. But I'm still hopeful we'll all get a chance to go to an Oilers game in the future. Yeah, yeah, we hope for, for that absolutely. too. Absolutely, I'll do all my best. It's kind of hard to get in there, but I'll do my best to one day see Conor McDavid, Leon Draisaitl, all nice on the Rogers place. Definitely. All right, guys, I appreciate it. Thank you. Have a good night. Thank you, guys. Thank you, Eric. Let's go, Oilers. Have a great night. Thank you, Eric. As always, to, for the invitation. Thank you, Diego, for being with me all the time here in Brazil to uh, to to make the Oilers Brazil community even bigger. And of course, yeah. let's go, Oilers. Let's, let's go, go Oilers. Oilers. All right. So for Gabriel Cangido and Diego Pontes, I'm Eric Friesen. This has been the 99 Forever Podcast. We're out. <laughs>